It was Job who gave all of God's people one of the most important perspectives of faith when he said in Job 13 verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. God did not kill Job. The point this man of God was making is that the Almighty is worthy of our complete trust in him and in his ways, even when uh, the ways of God and the dealings of God, they seem unbearably difficult to cope with and to understand. Uh, this was a, an expression of great faith amid great trials that Job, the ancient saint of God, made. Well, I want us to think about another example of great faith here in the Gospel accounts. And I want to look particularly at Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, and also the passage, the parallel passage in Mark's Gospel 7, verses 24 to 30. Now, in this passage, it begins with the Lord Jesus Christ um, seemingly retiring for a while. He goes into the borders of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, today, that is modern Lebanon, a place I mentioned uh, quite frequently in the news lately. And we also read that not only does he retire outside the the, the boundaries and the jurisdiction of, of um, Galilee and Israel itself, but he also goes into a house. He's not in a temple. He's not in a place of worship. He's not in a public arena. He's, he's drawing uh, aside from the public and he's going into a house. We don't know whose house this is. And the intention uh, there in the Gospels is that uh, no one to, is to know that he is there. But it's at that stage that Mark, in his account, he adds this very valuable detail, which I love to read. It's in Mark 7, 24. It simply says, but he could not be hid. You see, part of our Lord's condescension was to you know, not make himself known in a way that a, a proud or a, a sinful ruler would. This, this was particularly true when he was in Gentile territory. But that is not the same thing as... Uh, demonstrating a, a lack of desire or compassion towards those who are lost and out of their way. Our Saviour always demonstrated great compassion. This was an, an expression, uh, an exhibiting of his condescension and his humility. And so the reality was, even in the days of his flesh, he just could not be hid. Uh, just as on a cloudy day the light, the sun, was still illumine the sky, so in these days of, of veiling there was, there was a glory that was always going to shine forth and so before long along comes this woman an unnamed woman identified by mark as a greek uh, syrophoenician in matthew's gospel a woman of canaan and she comes to the savior in great distress and, and her distress is, is understandable her daughter is possessed and vexed by a devil and uh, we can imagine her tears her broken heart her state of desperation here was one that most likely tried everything to meet the need of her her daughter, whom she loved, but she just met with failure. What could she do? Well, she comes to the Saviour. And that's where the passage seems to sort of take a turn or even a twist, if I can use that language. And if we put this passage, this particular portion of the Bible, to the average person on the street and says, well, here's a woman. She's in great distress. She comes to Jesus. What happens next? I believe that many people would just presume they would know. Oh, well, Jesus would heal her. Jesus would answer her cry immediately and, and, and the rest would be history. But the narrative is actually very different from what most would imagine. In fact, and I, I use my word carefully here, deliberately at the same time, it borders on being troubling if we do not read the entire passage and grasp its meaning. 
First of all, he, he doesn't answer her. Uh, the gospel accounts simply say he answered her not a word. <laughs> just, just no response. And then secondly, even when the disciples say to him, send her away. And what they mean is when they said send her away is cure this girl and just you know, send him away. Do this, master. They, they're expecting him to do this. Well, he replies, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then thirdly, when the mother comes worshipping, most likely coming nearer and crying, Lord, help me. He replies, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to docks. Well, these are three instances and they have the potential of being demoralizing. This woman may have maybe reasoned within herself. You know, I, I thought this was the, the, the master. I thought this was the one who shows compassion and love. There is a that there is maybe the possibility that we could look at these words and, and feel that we're sensing almost sectarianism in the words of Jesus. Ostracizing the non-Jews, you know, arrogance here. What's, what's going on? Well, we know none of these things are true of the Saviour. And uh, when the woman finally cries in verse 27, Truth, Lord, she then says this, Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Look, it's, it's then, it's then, this, this mysterious and seemingly deeply troubling passage suddenly breaks forth into light. And the Saviour replies, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And in that very hour, her daughter was healed. Well, the lessons here, uh, dear Christian, they are many, far too many to try to condense into a few minutes of this podcast. But let me just consider three things here uh, about great faith. And that's really the, the thought of this podcast. You know, what, what is great faith? The Savior says, great is thy faith. What, what is great faith in this day and age in which we live? Well, great faith, according to Christ, is far removed from the definition that people commonly use today. And uh, I, I think that same principle is true of many areas, by the way, in, in uh, Christianity. We've, we've, we're in great problems where we're trying to define things according to our feelings, not the word of God. Look, we can't define Christian truth subjectively. We can't sort of take up this, this um, approach where we say, you know, I, I feel God should be like this or... I think God should answer prayer like this. We're, we're, we're just in very bad territory there. The Bible defines for us those things that we must believe. Not just gives us the truth, but tells us what this truth is and how we understand it. You see, for many in Christian circles, greatness of faith is entirely based on subjective personal feelings. For many, if they try really hard to believe what God says, that's great faith. But is it accurate? Further, is great faith only present when we've conquered whatever it is which is causing us, causing us distress? One of the great difficulties we get ourselves into is when we equate happy feelings with great faith. If we feel good, if we feel happy, well, then we've got great faith. We can believe. You know, when the sun shines, I can believe God. When it rains, I can't believe him. That's not Christianity. That's not the Bible. This woman was at her wit's end. She was distraught. She was in a, in a condition that was broken. And that wasn't denied her. But she, in the midst of it, still exhibited greatness of faith. So greatness of faith is, is far removed from a common definition. So greatness of faith is when the believer is singularly focused on Christ throughout. 
And that's what you see in this woman. She cries, have mercy. She cries it again. But notice that the heart of her asking is an awareness of who the Lord Jesus is. O Lord, thou son of David. She references the master's table. Great faith is demonstrated when it is the entire committing of our lives into the hands of one that we know is Lord and master and merciful. And we're able to get to that. And greatness of faith is a holding on of him. You see, great faith is not so much a reflection of, of us, but it's um, a revelation of our entire dependence on him. And so the, our faith will grow more the more we see him. And greatness of faith will be more revealed the more there is the revealing of Christ in us. Greatness of faith, and lastly, will show a persistency. And that can be demonstrated time and time again throughout the Bible. Our Lord was not being cruel or heartless. Let me just underscore that. As he did on many other occasions, and as God has done uh, Old Testament scriptures, Abraham when he was tried, Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. So here, many times in the, in the Saviour's ministry, he puts to men and women tests, examinations of motives, intention and heart. And he furnishes a test for this woman, the result of being that it draws out of her a more pure and consecrated faith. Think of how she responds regarding that reference to crumbs. I mean, if you've got a pet dog, you'll know exactly what this means. The dog sits at the table waiting for just something to fall and they will pounce. Well, that, uh, she's expressing this humble heart. She, she knows she's not worthy. And putting aside, you know, the Lord coming first to Jews, then to Gentiles, and all of the truth that is contained in that, just think of the imagery. She's waiting. She's waiting. And she's anticipating. And she, she, know, she knows her place, but she says, I'm willing to take the crumbs as a dog waits for crumbs to fall. I'll take that place, Lord. The reality is the Lord Jesus would give her much more than crumbs from the table. He would give her the bread of life. But this was a means to examine her heart and motive. Great faith, dear Christian, is produced in the crucible of the Lord's providential dealings. It is his method many times to search out our hearts so that we don't just simply ask, but we do it earnestly. We do it persistently. We do it humbly. And we do it believingly. And that is great faith.